Today I talked about the work that we've been doing um, in my lab and uh, with my group uh, over the last 10 years to try to understand the immune microenvironment in ovarian cancer and using ovarian as a model to understand uh, solid tumor biology uh, in general. So we have, uh, since 10 years now, um, found that uh, in ovarian cancer there is a spontaneous infiltration of T cells. Uh, so there is a spontaneous adaptive immunity as sort of uh, patients. We have been able to correlate that with a very strong biomarker, which is the presence of uh, intraepithelial or intratumoral T cells. Uh, by the way, the same uh, biomarker has been identified in many other tumors, notably in colorectal cancer and many others. Uh, and it turns out that the presence of these T cells in the tumor uh, predicts uh, significantly better overall survival following conventional treatments. Uh, in fact, in our series, we found that uh, the only patients who survive long term are the ones who have uh, these T cells at the time of diagnosis. Now, importantly, these T cells, are, this phenotype is quite robust and persists even after chemotherapy, which explains the long-term benefits. Um, and we recently looked at the whole literature with over uh, 1,800 patients and found in ovarian cancer, over 10 uh, papers, and found that they all uh, basically went in the same direction, showing that they were all concordant with an increased hazard ratio, hazard, uh, ratio for uh, risk of death if uh, one does not have these T cells. Now this is very important biologically, but it's also very important therapeutically because it really uh, reveals that there are two kinds of patients when it comes to immunotherapy. One uh, group of patients in which there is already an immune response that tries to reject tumors. And there, uh, what we need to do is understand what prevents it from doing so and uh, basically helping it to do that, basically. Uh, unleashing those uh, uh, inhibitory barriers. Uh, and the, well, I spoke today about the PD-1, PD-L1 pathway, which is, we think, in ovarian cancer and in many other tumors, a very important pathway, but not the only one for sure. And um, it's clearly shown in mouse models and in uh, in vitro uh, systems uh, with human um, tumor microenvironment reconstitution in ovarian cancer that uh, when there are T cells in the microenvironment, tumors do respond uh, to PDL1 blockade or double PDL1 and CTL4 blockade, and that is a very clear pathway for clinical development. And in fact, presently there is a clinical trial that will be conducted in the context of the uh, cancer vaccine cooperative uh, group, which will test exactly uh, double blockade uh, in a cohort of ovarian patients. Um, in addition, uh, the question becomes what happens with patients who do not have T cells at the onset? Uh, and there, I think, uh, it's critically important to understand what keeps the T cells out of the tumor. And is it because the tumors are not immunogenic or is it because the T cells cannot, uh, allow, cannot be allowed to get in? And we found through mouse models and human studies that the latter is true, and that is that tumors are potentially immunogenic, but T cells are not allowed to home into tumors to establish a rejection response. And the vasculature is partially responsible of that through a um, 
system of uh, uh, um, mechanisms that we collectively call the, the tumor endothelial barrier. So, so effective T cells cannot cross that barrier to get into the tumor. Same as happens with the brain, for example, which becomes an immune privileged uh, site. So the tumor similarly establishes immune privileged territory, not in all patients, but in some of the patients where there are no T cells at the time of diagnosis, certainly this could be one of the reasons. And now we found mechanisms to basically counter this pharmacologically. Uh, we identified two molecular pathways and both of them can be pharmacologically suppressed. And I spoke about uh, our recent data uh, that was published where we found that the tumor endothelium expresses a death ligand called FAS ligand. And uh, that's maintained in tumor vasculature through a cooperative uh, action of uh, VEGF, IL-10, and prostaglandin E2. So by using commercially available bevacizumab, for example, uh, or other VEGF inhibition and prostaglandin inhibitors, such as the old uh, nice aspirin, or endomethacin and so forth, you can take that barrier down and allow T cells to get into the tumor. And now for the first time, we found ways to restore T cell infiltration in tumors, which could be an important step towards preparing patients for PDL1 therapy. And so the opportunity now is that we could potentially use PDL1 or other types of this uh, T cell uh, uh, stimulating pharmacology to. Uh, also for patients who did not have T-cells uh, in the tumors at the beginning. We found T-cells infiltrating in every stage of ovarian uh, cancer, including stage 1, 2, and so forth. We've done extensive studies, of course, in stage 3 and 4 patients because these are the most common uh, variety and the most interesting from the standpoint of identifying new therapies as they are the most challenging in the clinic uh, to, to, to treat. Um, notably there, we found that the, in, in a series, the, the only patients who are cured, so to speak, after chemotherapy, so they have long-term remissions, are the patients who had these T-cells to begin with. Yes, so cervical cancer being a virally induced tumor, uh, with uh, well-integrated uh, viral antigens into the uh, uh, cancer cell genome, which are mandatory um, because they are part of the oncogenetic process. These oncogenes, uh, the HPV6 and is expressed, so the tumor cannot eliminate them. Uh, and so these are uh, epitopes that the immune system can recognize, and there are, in fact, responses against these, and there are tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes in in uh, cervical cancers. I think cervical cancer is an, a very good opportunity for immunotherapy and in fact underexploited at the moment. Uh, but we're working with uh, different companies to develop PD-1-based uh, therapeutic approaches for cervical cancer and vaccines as well. Uh, uterine cancer is also very interesting. A proportion of uterine cancers are linked to the Lynch syndrome, and so they have microsatellite instability. So it turns out that those patients, those tumors, have uh, hundreds of non-synonymous mutations, much like colorectal cancer with, uh, linked to the uh, Lynch syndrome. And so those patients, those tumors, actually do have a very florid T-cell infiltration, and I believe that they are also very uh, good candidates for immunotherapy. Now, the garden variety um, endometrioid carcinoma that is not 
uh, lynch-related, and the uh, papillary serous or high-grade uh, endometrial cancer uh, are also very interesting, but less understood at the moment. That's a very important uh, topic, and so the, clearly pilimumab um, is a, the front-runner of, of checkpoint blockade therapies, and because of its mechanism of action, which in, it basically mobilizes the whole immunity across the whole body, it can really uh, trigger, as we have very well established in the clinic, uh, significant autoimmunity. Now, PDL1 is quite different uh, because the target, uh, PD1, is actually upregulated only in chronically activated T cells that recognize antigen. And so it's more tumor restricted. And so PD1 blockade or PDL1 blockade is actually giving us much better safety profiles and enabling now for the first time to really start uh, creating combinations uh, and pushing the envelope. Well, there's no doubt that, you know, uh, sooner or later, a, a number of these immunotherapy drugs will uh, be approved. Uh, and there, I think the, the important thing is to learn how to use them safely. And second, to learn who to use them for. And so biomarker development will be critically important in this area, much like in other areas of precision oncology today, whereby if we find the right patients, then we can really maximize the benefit uh, while we're trying to minimize toxicity. I think that uh, it's, it's very, very clear that immunotherapy is on the rise and it will become part of the uh, daily uh, practice of oncology. And therefore, it's going, it's going to be very important for uh, general oncologists to learn the fundamental principles. But I think the whole field now is mobilizing in terms of educating uh, everyone. And, and that is a very important and a very exciting uh, opportunity. What is very, uh, very interesting and, and, and revolutionary, besides the fact that there is an overall acceptance now that immunotherapy is here to stay in a way, uh, what's also very interesting is that um, the, we now have come to realize adult tumors and they, uh, they could be the target of immunotherapy if we um, approach it uh, correctly. Uh, so no longer melanoma or renal cell cancer are the only uh, tumors that respond to immunotherapy, but now clearly many other solid tumors, lung cancer and so forth, do respond. There are some tumors that respond less, and there the challenge will be to see why. And clearly, the, uh, I think the emerging notion is that there are overlapping complex immunosuppressive pathways that these tumors are using uh, to evade the immune system, uh, and those will be a little harder to, to crack. But I think that systems biology approaches and, and, uh, and a lot of uh, intense study on these, on these tumors will will really enable us to, to understand the mechanisms. So I, I foresee in the next decade, there will be a sort of tsunami of opportunities for uh, cancer immunotherapy and combinations.